We're taking an in-depth look at the new New York Giants coaching staff, plus how they're going to get the best out of the players they have on the roster and what they still need. And here to help us break it all down will be Nick Filato of Giants Country Big Blue View and Big Blue Banter. That's coming up next on the Locked on Giants podcast. You are Locked on Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. Patricia Trainer here with you, and I am joined by this handsome young gentleman uh, on the screen, Nick Filato. You know him. You love him just as much as I do. He's been doing a great job with the draft pro- uh, prospect profiles over on Giants Country. He is here with me today to talk a little bit about the New York Giants Nicholas, my dear, happy to have you on the program. Patty, it's always a pleasure to join you. Thank you so much for having me. This is an interesting draft season, an interesting offseason. Hopefully, this will spring us into a new regime, a new, I guess, outcome for the New York Giants, because the last decade has just been absolutely abysmal. Indeed. Indeed, my friend. So we got a lot to talk about, Nick. We got to start with this coaching staff. I've been wanting to get your opinion now for the longest time on this coaching staff and this interesting mix. And I want to start with the offensive side of the ball. So we have Brian Dable coming down from Buffalo, ran one kind of system. He brought in Mike Kafka from the Chiefs, who ran a different type of system. Can you kind of Give us an overview how you see these two systems potentially marrying up with each other. Firstly, I think that these two systems will be built and centralized around the strengths of the personnel on the New York Giants. I don't think they're going to be rigid and not to take shots at the former offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett, but there were times where I felt like not only was his offense unimaginative, static, stuck in, you know, the 2000s but it didn't maximize the personnel on the roster. He was trying to force Evan Ingram to operate in the Y stick, which is a solid play, but it became a joke among Giants Twitter and everything because that wasn't his game. He is an athlete. You want to stretch the field horizontally and vertically with a player like Evan Ingram, and we didn't really see all that much of that. And he was asking Daniel Jones to do some things that maybe were outside of his comfort zone. I think with a combination of Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka calling plays, I think it's going to be an offense that's centralized around Daniel Jones or whoever the quarterback is of the future, trying to maximize what they do best. So I look back at what Brian Dayball did in Buffalo. You saw you saw a creative vertical-based offense built around Josh Allen, built around Josh Allen's unique skill set. Now, it's just no slight on Daniel Jones, but Daniel Jones is not Josh Allen. So I'm curious to see how that offense translates over here and how many aspects of that offense, Brian Dable, or Dable, I should say, I always pronounce it Dable, I believe it's Dable, will kind of mesh with the New York Giants and what he's going to bring. I'm not necessarily looking at it from a philosophical point of view, but I think we are in a good place right now because I think he's going to do the best job to enhance the overall New York Giants personnel. First, you need to build up that offensive line. That's going to start with Joe Shane. That's going to start with the draft, possibly free agency. We'll see what happens there. But if I had to kind of talk about things I do expect to carry over from the Buffalo Bills and from the Kansas City Chiefs, I think you're going to get a lot of vertical type of concepts if the offensive line can block up front, if that's something that's proven throughout training camp and everything. I think you're going to get a lot of vertical stretch, a lot of horizontal stretch. I think if Evan Ingram was on this roster, it would benefit him probably the most out of almost anybody else. I think you're going to get unique employment of personnel, something I think that we're going to see a lot, and I'll talk about a little bit later, with Wink Martindale. I think you're going to get Kenny Galladay on the backside of three-by-ones. I think if the Giants find another athlete, they're going to put him on that side to kind of create mismatches because if you have your best player on the backside of three-by-one, you might get a one-on-one matchup because if you bracket them, you have three other players that you have to worry about on that other side. I think you can really get creative with that. It's something that I don't feel like Jason Garrett did all that much of, but we see a lot of really smart teams use. You saw the Kansas City Chiefs use that a lot with Travis Kelsey. You saw the Raiders use it with Derek Waller. You see it all over the place. I mean, we saw it 
in the Super Bowl with the Rams before OBJ got injured, they would line him up in that spot. Then they'd have Cooper Cup in the slot. And it's like, who are you going to cover defense? If you want to bracket OBJ, you have a one-on-one out there because you have to worry about Cooper Cup too. So I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about Kadarius Toney. Kadarius Toney can stay healthy. I think he can be a Swiss Army knife in this offense, more of an enhanced version of what Isaiah McKenzie was in Buffalo's offense, only more featured, I would say. And then you add in the Saquon Barkley element, which is, if he is here, I think that is another really creative player that you can use, probably the best playmaker on the offense. Now, I think a lot of people have criticized, chastised Jason Garrett for his lack of involvement in the passing game with Saquon Barkley. When Saquon Barkley was at credit, he wasn't there in 2020. Was he fully healthy in 2021? Those are all fair questions. I think you're going to see a lot of arrow routes. I think you're going to see a lot of man beaters with Saquon Barkley built into the offense with those two offensive minds there. And I just, I'm excited about the the prospects of what this offense can look like, even with Daniel Jones at quarterback, somebody I'm not necessarily a hundred percent sold on quite yet. Yeah, we have to, we still have to see if Daniel Jones is going to, you know, take that step. Now, Brian Dable at his presser said something that was kind of interesting. And I want to get your take on this. He said that he went to Daniel and he said, okay, tell me what you like to do, what you think you do best And we're going to use that as a starting point for designing this new offense. So we figure, okay, Daniel's going to be part of the offense. You figure Kenny Galladay is going to be part of the offense. You figure um, uh, Kadarius Toney will be part of it. Saquon will probably be part of it. Uh, Remains to be seen what they do with the tight end. So just based on what those key players, those key skill position players do best, what are some of the things that maybe you can see, you know, as far as like stuff coming in from Duke, their college days, you mentioned a few things before, but what are some other things that you can potentially see that are going to be different? Like, for example, are they going to do maybe less 12 personnel, more 11, you know, what, what sort of things? I think there will be more 11 personnel, Patty, but I also think it starts from the pre-snap phase. Another Another punching bag moment for Jason Garrett was the fact that he was criticized a lot for a lack of imagination and a lack of pre-snap motion in the pre-snap phase. Now, the pre-snap phase is a huge part of of quarterback play. I mean, you think about it. Why do so many quarterbacks take delay of game penalties? It's not just because they're, you know, twiddling their thumbs before the play. They're trying to diagnose the defense. They're trying to see where... where the liabilities on that defense are and what the intentions of the defense happen to be. And in order to do that, if you switch the defensive assignments by using pre-snap movement and shifts like that, then you can help diagnose. And I don't feel like that was something that really assisted Daniel Jones. I think you're going to see a lot of that because we saw a lot of that with Kansas City and we saw a lot of that with the Buffalo Bills. Now, I also think that you're going to really find ways to maximize those wide receiver weapons. So you have Kenny Galladay. When there are one-on-ones, I think you're going to see Daniel Jones kind of take advantage of that. I also think Kadarius Tony, and I kind of brought this up a little bit before, he's definitely somebody else that they're going to try to implement in the quick game, get him quick design type of touches, use him as like a fast three or a fast four to the three wide receiver side. And what I mean by that is you have him lined up in the backfield. And then right before the snap, he takes off in that direction. And a lot of modern defenses use a lot of pattern match type of principles. And when you send somebody from the backfield into a location right before the snap, all of those defenders, their assignments are going to change. And you can create a lot of mismatches and a lot of miscommunications by doing that. And I think that's a really smart way to kind of take advantage of modern defenses. We see a lot of great offensive minds do that. So I think you're going to see a little bit more of that, just kind of that cat and mouse game, a little chess match between the offensive and the defensive coordinator. And I think this offense coordinator is much more equipped to do that. I think you're also going to see more RPO. The Bills ran a ton of RPO. It's something that Daniel Jones did a lot at Duke. It's easy. It's puts one defender in conflict. You read that one defender. If that one defender comes up, you hand the football off in the mesh point. If that one defender sees the glance route coming behind him. He sinks to depth a little bit. You give the football to Saquon Barkley. You pick up four or five yards, possibly hit a home run. I just think you're going to see a lot more of these two offensive minds putting the defense in conflict at every single level. It's going to happen with the end man on the line of scrimmage. It's going to happen with those linebackers in RPO or safety in the box. And it's going to happen with safeties on more vertical type of concepts, Mills type of concepts, which is the number two receiver, the inner receiver that is, runs a dig. That is about a 10-yard in or 20-yard in, depending on what type of offense you want to or what the context of the offensive play is. And then on the backside of that, the number one receiver, that's the outermost receiver, he'll run a deep post. 
And I think you're going to see a lot of those types of plays. And honestly, not to rail on Jason Garrett, but you didn't see a lot of that. It was much more, we're going to call three plays to get 10 yards. And then we're going to keep doing that and maintain the football and keep our defense on the sideline. You know what? There's some merit to that. At the same time though, Patty, in modern NFL, you need to create explosive plays. We saw that with both the Chiefs and the Bills. They create a lot of explosive plays going downfield. I think you're going to see a lot more of those vertical type of concepts, especially if the Giants can at least make that offensive line half as better as they were last year because it's it's hard to really complete 20-yard passes downfield when you're just getting beat right off the snap. So that's another huge thing that we that the Giants need to definitely address. All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's Locked on Giants podcast. But first, Bet Online has everything you need to bet on sports and Vegas games this year. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. So head on over to BetOnline.net to see all their special offers, props, and odds, and to place your bets. BetOnline, where the game starts. Now, let's just put offensive line aside for a moment here. Let's look at the skill position players. What are the Giants still missing as far as, you know, what they need to optimize what we might see from Dable and from Kafka? Yes, we are missing, or the New York Giants are missing a tight end. They need definitely a tight end, and we're not 100% sure of the fate of Evan Inger, but let's look. Dawson Knox was a big part of what, the Buffalo Bills this year. He kind of came on. He was a day three pick. And then you have Travis Kelsey, obviously a gigantic part of what the the Chiefs did down in Kansas City. I also think the Giants could probably use a, a speedster, someone who's really fast, could take the top off the defense. Now, Kadarius Tony's an excellent athlete. Honestly, he's has elite change of direction and agility. I don't think he necessarily has that, you know, four three speed. The Giants had somebody on that roster for two speed and John Ross, but he wasn't necessarily optimized and he was dinged up and he was injured a little bit. So I think the giants can add a little bit more speed to, to really help create one-on-one matchups for Kenny Galladay in a creative way. I think that will also enhance this offense. I liked Devontae Booker as a number two running back. He might be a cap casualty. I think if he, if he's not, he definitely slide in as a, a solid backup to Saquon Barkley, who is hopefully really healthy, but I've had to look at all of those positions it would be the tight end and then Sterling Shepard might not be here he's probably gonna be a cap casualty and he's dealing with obviously coming back from a really serious injury so the Giants could be in the wide receiver market now it's not the most important need but I know they spent a first round pick on Kadarius Tony but who are we looking at right now with Darius Slayton entering his last year he's kind of unreliable I, I hate to say that because he had such a good rookie season back in 2019 I think he dropped like what six passes this past year, he was one of the most inefficient wide receivers. So they could look in that direction as well at wide receiver. But he could benefit from this because he is a vertical threat. He can get downfield. But I just want more efficiency from a player like Darius Slayton. So wide receiver could be in the conversation. Now let's get to the offensive line because obviously we know offensive line has to be addressed. But that being said, there are a couple of different schools of thoughts regarding building an offensive line. You either go smaller but more, you know, athletic, or you go with the big, you know, elephants. We won't use the hog molly term. I don't think people <laughs> want to hear us use hog molly. No. But uh, so you could go with the, the, you know, the George Young planet theory. You know, for those of you who don't remember the George Young planet theory, he had the theory that there are only so many big men on this, the planet Earth that can move. And when you find them, you have to obviously, you know, grab them. So that said, Nick, if you're building the ideal Giants offensive line, either planet theory, athletic and small, or maybe even a combination, what's going to work best with what potentially these coaches are going to do with this offense? I think that's an interesting question because if you look at both aspects of the Chiefs offense and the Bills offense, they kind of had those big planet theory type of individuals like the Chiefs had when they traded for Orlando Brown, one of the biggest offensive tackles to ever go down to the combine. They acquired him through a trade for the Baltimore Ravens. And if you look at what Buffalo did the last couple of years, they were a little bit more of an outside stretch zone type of team. When Brian Dable came over from Alabama and while he was in Alabama, he ran a lot more power gaps. It was a lot more, we're going to bully you. That didn't necessarily work. So he switched to a little bit more zone, incorporated his own read into his rushing offense. Their offensive line, wasn't they weren't mammoth type of individuals, but if 
you're asking me, I think you go with the Evan Neal's of the world because Evan Neal, he, he's not an elite athlete, but for someone of his massive size, he is an incredible athlete. And when you have a, a, the length and the wingspan that he has, it's kind of like having this unique gravitational pull around you because no one's going to really be able to get around you unless they get underneath your pads. It's just very difficult for edge rushers to get around an individual of that size. And you have Andrew Thomas. I think Andrew Thomas could play either or now he ran power gap, Georgia, you know, he, he's executed zone assignments well in the NFL. So I'm not necessarily, I'm looking for the best players and you, you do want a, an, an identity, but I think a lot of these elite type of prospects that are entering the NFL draft can be zone guys and they can be uh, power gap individuals too. Now, I, I think the Giants probably won't run as much power gap now and a power gap for those of you who, who don't know, it's, it's pullers. That's essentially what I mean. The Giants have been running it a lot. The Giants base run play in 2020 was counter. So counter is the running back takes a delay step, a false step on purpose to allow the pullers to come. And what Jason Garrett had, he had the backside guard pull to a desired location in the play side. They left the end man on the line of scrimmage unblocked. That backside guard would kick out that end man on the line of scrimmage. And then a sniffer, an H-back, an F-back, whatever you want to call him, it was Caden Smith. He was a tight end aligned off the line of scrimmage, would come and lead block. Now, that was where the types of concepts that Jason Garrett ran a lot. And there's a lot of duo blocking, which is basically power without the puller. You're just basically forming double teams up front and vertically displacing defensive linemen. I think you're going to see duo. I think you're going to see some outside zone. I think you're going to see a little bit of power gap because at the end of the season, Dayball, when the outside zone wasn't working, he incorporated more power gap when David Singletary got uh, healthy. So I think that's also something that we're going to see. I think we're going to see a, a mixture of everything. I don't think it's just one pure thing. I don't think the Giants are going to be a kind of like a Rams team, which is a very, very heavy outside zone type of team. I think they're kind, kind of going to be a little bit more diverse with their rushing attack. But to go back to your original question, Patty, I think I'm looking for people who are just uniquely built, have the length. I think Joe Shane is going to be somebody who wants long linemen, long guys in the trenches. If we look at his drafting record in Buffalo, he drafted guys like Ed Oliver and Gregory Rousseau and these long physical defensive linemen. I think that's going to also pertain to the offensive line. I think he's going to look at individuals like Evan Neal and Akimi Kwano, some of these bigger offensive linemen who can move bodies off the line and may not be elite athletes, but they're good enough athletes to play in the NFL at either left or right tackle. Luckily for the New York Giants, they don't need a left tackle. It's the one position they have figured out on the offensive line. And of course, the most important position on the offensive line, usually. So, all right. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about Saquon Barkley, because obviously the big debate with Saquon is, will he be on this roster? Can the Giants afford to keep him or can they afford not to keep him, you know, in terms of the skill set? Now, to recap, Saquon Barkley has, a, I think, a $7.2 million cap hit. He is in the option year of his rookie contract. Um, not very expensive. That being said, the Giants are cap strapped. You look at the new offense that they're looking to build. Saquon, you know, we all know that he has all kinds of unique uh, talents and skill sets, hasn't been healthy, hasn't looked like his 2018 self. So that all being said, Nick, do you keep Saquon Barkley? Is there a place for him in this offense, do you think? Or do you just say, look, you know, he's just a luxury that this team really can't afford and maybe they can get by with Devonta Booker for a year and maybe a draft pick because, you know, if you look at the Buffalo history, they don't – I think they, the, the highest they've drafted a, a uh, running back in the Joe Shane and Brandon Bean era was the third round. So do they maybe go in that direction? So Saquon Barkley, it, it's interesting. I think there's certainly a place for him here. And remember, Mike Kafka, now he was the offensive coordinator, but the Kansas City Chiefs selected Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the first round and – doesn't really look like the best pick in, in retrospect and hindsight, but that was a decision that the Chiefs made, and he had at least some say in that, obviously not the majority of say. I think there's certainly a place for Saquon Barkley, but let's go back to Joe Shane's opening press conference. What did he say? It's going to be a lot of difficult decisions, Patty. It's going to be a lot of difficult decisions. And if we're going to be real here, Saquon Barkley is going to be looking for a contract after this season. And where the New York Giants are and where the modern NFL is and how there are players like Elijah Mitchell who are drafted late, Khalil Herbert who are drafted late, or even some of them are undrafted, and you can find them and plug them in and they're productive. 
do you really want to allocate that much money to the running back position? And me personally, I do not. I love Saquon Barkley. I think he is the face of a franchise type of player. But I think drafting him at number two, and I said this the day it happened, all my friends looked at me like, dude, this guy's incredible. What's wrong with you? I'm just like, dude, you just don't draft a running back at two, especially when Baker Mayfield went one and Sam Darnold was still around. I mean, so many general managers probably wanted to trade up or at least talk to you. And Gettleman just overlooked that. That was a huge slight on Gettleman's record, in my opinion. But that's kind of water under the bridge at this point. He's here. So I want to maximize him. But you have to think about the future as well. And I, I don't think the Giants are going to give him that contract, which means you should probably get the most you can for him. Now, what is that? What is the most that you can get for him? That's the other question. It's a, it's a tough decision. It is. I'm not going to throw a fit if he's still on the roster. I think he's wildly talented. I think we haven't seen that talent because he was injured in 2019, injured the entire 2020 year, and he was dinged up a little bit, and he was coming back from a serious injury last year. I think he's been dealt a really tough hand. But I still think there's a lot of talent there. I still think he's, what is he, 25 years old? He's still very young as well. But I think you have to really think about the future here. Giants are really not a team that's going to probably compete this season. You don't want to allocate the money for the future. So what does that lead you to? Let's trade him to a competitive team, get picks, and then go forward from there. And I think that would be my number one option. And I don't love saying that. I, I like Saquon Barkley a lot, like I said. But I think you just got to be prudent and and take the best course of action for the future. And if you want to fix this cap situation and you want to fix this team, you got to get more kicks at the can. You got to get more draft capital. And he's somebody who you might get a three and a five for maybe a two from a team that thinks they're on the cusp of competing. That's not great. But at the same time, if you're not going to give him that contract, you just want him to ride out this season and, and he just walks in free agency. And then you get a comp pick, which is another way to kind of look at this. But what would that be? It depends on the contract that he gets and who's giving contracts out to, to running backs that they don't necessarily know in free agency. That's not something you necessarily see too much unless it's in-house, you know, the Joe Mixon and the Bengals, Alvin Kamara and the saints, Dalvin cook and the Vikings, stuff like that. You know, Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry can kind of go on there, but none of those guys are signed in free agency. So I think it's a, it's a unique situation. The giants have a lot of different options they can take, but I think my number one option would be to, to trade them away, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I, I, I'm i with you on that. I look at the future, too, and I don't like saying that either about Saquon. I think he's an, a, a marvelous player, and I don't think the Giants ever really got the full effect, if you will, out of him. And now you throw in the injuries and the fact that he has some tread on the tires, and you just wonder if they're ever going to get what they invested in him. And me personally, if I could get, you know, if I'm trading him and I can get mid-round picks I'd be happy, you know, especially if I can get him for next year, maybe get a conditional pick or something like that. Cause this team does need a lot of stuff. They are not just one player away in my opinion. And you know, that he's really the only, as I see it, the only guy who you can maybe move via trade. Um, I don't know if you can move James Bradbury. We'll talk about that in a second, but you know, Saquon is, is definitely to me an attractive trade option, but we'll see if Joe Shane, of course, takes that move. All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's Locked on Giants podcast. But first, if you're aiming to eat healthier in 2022, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, but without the calories and without the sugar. Most Built Bars contain around 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein, making it easy to stick to any diet plan. So head on over today to BuiltBar.com and use our special promo code LOCKED15 to save 15% off your first order. That's code LOCKED15. L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 for 15% off your order at BuiltBar.com. All right, we are talking with Nick Filato. He does the draft profiles for Giants Country. He also has a podcast. He's also on Big Blue View. If you are not reading this man's work, you are missing out on some good stuff. He's just an absolute delight. And I love, love, love talking with this gentleman. Nick, let's talk about the Giants defense. You know, Wink Martindale. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm I'm pretty pumped about that. You know, obviously I thought they would keep uh, Patrick Graham. I want to start off with your thoughts about the system that Patrick Graham ran versus the system Wink ran. Now they both ran, a, I believe, a three-four. Slight differences, I think, but pretty much the same. I, I, you know, on the surface. Let's talk about that a little bit. How are they similar, and how are they different? The whole three-four-four-three thing is a little bit of a uh, 
it's overthought by fans, I think. Now, yes, personnel, if you run an odd front, which is typically what a 3-4 is, that means you're going to have a nose tackle, a true nose, whereas 4-3 teams are more even front teams are going to have a one shade. So that's kind of like I more look at it from an odd front, even front type of uh team and both of those coordinators use both of those aspects depending on the situation but to go to the differences here Patrick Graham love Patrick Graham as a defensive coordinator but he was much more conservative than what we're going to see from Wink Martindale Wink Martindale he's aggressive he's going to come and blitz a lot he's going to try and pressure quarterbacks he's going to use looks where there are eight nine guys on the line of scrimmage sometimes who's coming on the blitz he's going to manipulate the protection packages of the of the opposing offense. And that's something that we saw a little bit from Patrick Graham. Patrick Graham was much more, we're going to drop back into zone. We're going to keep everything in front of us. We're going to allow them to check down, get two yards. We're going to rally and tackle. And, you know, there's a lot of merit to that. But we saw this season, you know, the Giants let up a lot of third downs where they were getting beaten one-on-ones. And I, Patrick Graham liked to run man coverage on thir- in third and short situations, third and intermediate situations, and then down in the red zone. Whereas Wink Martindale, he's going to run man coverage a solid amount. You're going to see a lot more man coverage, and that's we could talk about personnel later and who necessarily fits into that. But what you're going to see is exotic blitzes, exotic pressures, and exotic personnel usage. Because there were times, and I talked to Ken McCusick, who does film study for the Ravens, and he deemed this personnel package the race car look, kind of like a little bit of a tweak off the NASCAR look from Steve Spagnuolo, which was a three outside linebacker look where he would line defensive ends outside linebackers at one tech, three techniques. So that's inside of the guards and use their athletic ability and their power and their ability to convert speed to power to put pressure on the quarterback in obvious passing situations. What the race car is, is four outside linebackers. So basically no middle linebackers on the field. So you just have a bunch of athletes out there. He would bring the safeties up to the line of scrimmage, use them in his blitz packages. And there were several times where I saw Wink Martindale scheme 2v1, so two blitzers against one pass protector. Obviously, someone's going to have a free rush. He was the master of scheming free rushes. He's done three versus four, two versus one. It was uh, it was awesome to see. And you saw this on a lot on their film. You saw it throughout the Chargers game, throughout the Colts game. You saw it basically all season. And I appreciate that pressure, but in order for that to work, the secondary and the pressure need to be married. So you need to be able to play man coverage on the back end because that's what he calls on the back end. If you're bringing, you know, five, six men, sometimes he brought a lot of simulated pressures too. And a simulated pressure is when you only bring four, but you bring blitzes, either linebackers or cornerbacks or safeties from an area that didn't look pre-snap like they were going to come. And then you drop two guys off the other side off in the coverage. So what happens is the offensive line, they slide their protection towards what they think is going to be the blitz. Those guys drop off. You bring someone from the other end, you create a two on one in that way. And then if the running back stays in, if it's a six man protection, he may not even know where the blitz is coming from. So by the time he realizes it, the quarterback's getting hit. So he uses sim pressures. He uses stunts up front. But like I said earlier, you need to be able to play man coverage on the back end. Cause if you don't like they couldn't this year, because they lost Jimmy Smith, they lost uh, Marcus Peters in training camp the same day they lost Gus Edwards, their running back, I believe. And then they also lost Marlon Humphrey for a part of the season. They couldn't play man coverage on the back end, so they couldn't necessarily hold up the philosophy of what Wink Martindale wanted to do. And that leads some people to believe that Wink Martindale is averse to adjustments and all that. I didn't necessarily see that. I watched the Chiefs game, which was in week two, and he never stunted in the in the Chiefs game. He rarely blitzed. Like one time he brought like a five-man pressure. Byron Pringle went for a 40-yard touchdown. He was dropping eight in coverage at times. He used Adafe Owe, who was their first round pick by the Baltimore Ravens, to check Travis Kelsey at the line of scrimmage and then go right into a quarterback spy to contain Patrick Mahomes. And I mentioned how they didn't stunt before. That's important because they didn't want to stunt and l- allow their defensive line to lose gap control because Patrick Mahomes is so good at extemporizing the play and kind of extending the play. So I felt like he adjusted what he does very well to Patrick Mahomes, and they ended up winning that football game when Adafi Owe punched the football out of Clyde Edwards-Alaire on that last drive. It was a primetime game, great game. So I don't think he's necessarily somebody who's just going to, oh, I'm going to bring pressure all the time, and that's what we're going to do. I think he's going to adjust. I really am I'm happy about this hire. He was my number two behind Vic Fangio, but Vic Fangio was never really quite linked to the New York Giants. So when I kind of put those pieces together, I was like, oh, well, if Patrick Graham does leave, it's Wink Martindale all day. And I think there was an argument that, hey, I'd go Wink Martindale over Patrick Graham 
anyways, to be honest. It's, it's different philosophically. It's going to be a lot different philosophically. They're both great defensive minds. But I think New York is going to learn to love Wink Martindale if he gets the personnel in place to allow him to run the assignments and the, and the plays that he wants to. You mentioned um, scheming. And a lot of people right now, if you were to take a poll amongst Giant fans, they would probably say, we got to get a stud defensive end or a stud edge rusher. It sounds like with Wink, they can probably work around that. Like if they get one, it'll make things easier, obviously. But if they don't, not the end of the world. It sounds like to me, at any rate, that linebackers and defensive backs are a little bit more important in terms of creating this pressure, helping him to scheme it. Is that indeed what you see when you look at his film? It's absolutely true. What you just said right there, Patty, you hit the nail on the head, as they say, it's uh, more about coverage. He needs the players to cover man cover specifically have zone instincts as well. But he's even said this as well. When, when asked, would you rather have the blue goose pass rushers or the people on the back end to cover? He's like, I can scheme pressure. That's not really an issue. Now, do you want just scrubs out there? Absolutely not. And let's remember, they drafted Adafi Owe in the first round. And he's more of a Sam out. He's more of a Sam linebacker type. You can play outside linebacker, put him as a defensive end. And what I mean by Sam, and that's what your or the Giants, Wink Martindale, that's what he's going to be looking for. He's going to be looking for a lot of Sam type of linebackers. And that's linebackers on the strong side who can cover. Tyus Bowser was a great Sam for them. He could cover. He was good at man coverage. He was good in zones. He could drop the curl flat. He could drop the middle hook if he needed to off of the line of scrimmage. And he can blitz and he can pressure. He's going to play as many Sams out there, those versatile type of linebackers who can do all those things, who can play the run, who can cover, who are physical, and who can blitz and who can bring pressure. And the Giants don't really have – I think Lorenzo Carter is an excellent uh, piece to that, to be honest. I think he, would be, he could be an excellent Sam. I think – Aziz Ojolari, if he gets a little bit stronger at the point of attack as, as a run defender, he could be that. Quincy Roche, I think he's another really interesting individual who could fit into this. But to go back to your original question, I think it's going to be much more we need coverage, guys. We need maybe a, another safety on the back end, another just second-level defender rather than just defensive ends. I think you want the coverage guys in place before you start going after the defensive ends. And I also think it's funny, too, because Joe Shane, we saw this – so back in 2017, now he got hired in 2017, but I believe it was Doug Whaley, who was the general manager who did that draft. And it was like a weird thing where he does, he does the draft and then they just kick him out. And then Brandon Bean comes in pretty sure that's well, what happened. But that year they took Tredavious White out of LSU after trading out of the spot where Patrick Mahomes was selected, just a crazy situation in hindsight to kind of look back on, but they ended up getting Josh Allen the next year. So, you know, they won too, but Trey White that became one of the top cornerbacks in the league. And that same year they signed Jordan Poyer, and they signed Micah Hyde. So they got two really good safeties in free agency. So their, their secondary started getting solidified. Now, if we look at those recent drafts by Brennan Bean and Joe Shane, what they do? Trenches, trenches, trenches. Started getting long defensive linemen. Gregory Rousseau, Ed Oliver, Carlos Basham, they drafted in the last draft as well. And they just stacked up. And that's while they also had guys like Jerry Hughes and really talented players on their defensive line and in their defensive front. But I think what you need first in order to allow Martindale's defense to work and in order uh, to do the building philosophy that we saw Brendan Bean execute in Buffalo is the secondary. Now, do the Giants have the secondary in place? I think they have a lot of interesting options. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about it. I mean, obviously, decisions need to be made in that defensive secondary. James Bradbury, there is just absolutely no way they can carry that cap number. It's over $20 million. Um, James Bradbury is good, but not 20 million good. So there is talk that he might either be released or traded. Um, so I would think they're going to probably need somebody there. Dory Jackson got off to a slow start last year. I know he was slowed down a little bit by injuries. I don't know if he's the long-term answer. I mean, he'll be on the roster this year, but I don't know if he's the long-term answer. And then really after that, you know, he, I think it was more or less the job done by Jerome Henderson, the defensive backs coach, that kept that cornerback position alive because they had injuries, they had guys affected by COVID and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, now and if we look at the safeties, you know, I don't think Jabril Peppers comes back. He's an unrestricted free agent. Um, you've got Xavier McKinney, who I 
I think is more of a box safety. I mean, he's he can he play free safety, yeah, but he's probably better off in the box. You got Logan Ryan, who's you know I don't I don't know that he's long term either. He'll be there this year, but I don't know that he'll be there beyond this year. And then uh, who am I missing? Uh, Julian Love, who's entering the final year of his deal. So potentially you're looking at having to redo that that defensive secondary sooner than later. So um, to your point that that they're going to need people, I think you're right on that. But where do you prioritize? And you know, if you if you can only take one guy of, of your two first round draft picks, assume you're going to use both of them. What do you spend it on? And maybe who do you spend it on? I think the cornerback discussion becomes really interesting in terms of the draft. I also think Kyle Hamilton is a name, and a lot of Giant fans push back on that. This is somebody who, in that type of system, could do everything. And to push back a little bit on your point, Patty, about Xavier McKinney, I think he does have the range, the deep half, the single high type of responsibilities. I think we saw that against the Raiders, and we saw it a little bit down the stretch of the season. Now, in the beginning of the season, he had a couple mental errors, but I didn't really see that as the season progressed, I think he could definitely he's if I had to take one player from the secondary it would be Xavier McKinney. And that's like a lock. Now, in terms of man covering cornerbacks, we transition to that again, Kyle Hamilton. I think that's a really interesting name. I'm really excited to dive into his tape, but for talking about cornerbacks, I think a Dory Jackson can fit into the system well, because he has all the fluidity, all the man coverage ability that you need in a cornerback. He's just one, he's like a top 1% athlete for that position. He just needs to stay healthy. And that was his issue. He had a quadriceps injury. I also think Aaron Robinson is somebody who can play man coverage pretty well. He was lined on the boundary. Sometimes he aligned in the slot. He can do a lot of different things for you. He's also somebody who really cleaned up his tackling in his senior season at UCF and tackling wasn't really an issue for him in the NFL. I didn't see too many of that. I felt like in man coverage, when he was asked, he made a lot of good plays on the football and that was down the field. And it was also short near the line of scrimmage. Now, if Jalen Rager caught that touchdown that he probably should have caught in the Philadelphia win, then we may not be saying that, but that was also like, what, Aaron Robinson's third game, second game? So I think Aaron Robinson could be a building block for this secondary as well. But beyond that, you look at James Bradbury, he has one more year on his contract, that cap number. It gets a little tricky there, Patty. And if I look at what, if we look at what Brandon Bean did when he first took over in Buffalo, Joe Shane, obviously a branch off the tree of Brandon Bean, they traded a lot of players that didn't necessarily fit from a culture standpoint or just had big cap numbers, and they just kind of wanted to rebuild. Now, I think Bradbury would fit from the culture standpoint, hands down. He's a, he's a great guy, it seems like. But, you know, this is a business. Tough decisions need to be made. I think he could be somebody that they look to trade. I don't think they're going to outright cut players. I think they're going to really try hard to trade a lot of these guys and get, you know, threes, fours three and a five, four and a six, something like that. Because I think Brandon Bean, Joe Shane, they believed in getting as many swings at the baseball, kicks at the can, whatever metaphor you want to use. I think that's what they're going to do though, Patty. And I I invite that to be honest. I think you kind of need to blow some things up here. There's not a lot of contracts and this is credit to Kevin Abrams. There's not a lot of contracts that extend past 2023. Like this is just really the rookies and Kenny Galladay. I think, I think those are the only contracts rookies from last year. That is so they're not really in a terrible cap situation. They're in a terrible cap situation for 2022. And they want to bring in their guys. But I do believe that the players that are on these expiring type of contracts could be shipped out. And that's going to be for draft capital. And then the Giants, Joe Shane, his front office can bring in the players that will fit with what Mike Kafka, Brian Dable, and Wink Martindale want to do from a philosophical standpoint. Nick, let's talk about one other position on the defense that we haven't really discussed a whole lot, but I think is going to be just as important. And that's inside linebacker. You know, inside linebacker in Wink's uh, system, smart. He looks for guys who are fast, who can who have that sideline to sideline range. Um, I think he looks for guys who can be effective in coverage. The Giants last year, you know, after, you know, uh, Blake Martin uh, Martinez went down, they had some issues, I think, in the inside linebacker ranks. You know, they they started – Tay Crowder became the starter. He was okay, but they could probably upgrade that spot. Then they went to Reggie Ragland, who's – you know, he's an unrestricted free agent. I don't see him coming back. Um, then they went to Bernardrick McKinney, 
who lost out then to Jalen Smith. And it just seemed like they never really settled that position down. When you look at that inside linebacker uh, spot, how important do you see it as being to Wartendale's system? And what do they need to really make that system hum? I think they need to address the inside linebacker position. And I spoke a lot about the Sam linebacker and how that might be a little bit more pivotal. But if you have a Mike, he's going to be a good quality Mike linebacker, middle linebacker. He's going to be able to fill the run. He's going to be able to cover. He's going to be able to drop into coverage, play man coverage. He's going to be able to execute all of those assignments. And the Ravens drafted Patrick Queen, and I believe that was in 2020, to fill that role. And if you watch some Patrick Queen tape, he has highlight type of plays but he doesn't really know what the heck he's doing. He doesn't know what's going on behind him. He, he's kind of been underwhelming from my understanding and from the tape that I watched at Wink Martindale's system. Just doesn't really necessarily have a clue on where to be, how to read his keys. Now, come up with those highlight plays, but I think that's something that kind of frustrated Wink Martindale. I think he would love to have a true Mike linebacker who can drop in coverage, understands route combinations, you know, can robot technique his way off the play action to find the crosser and actually know what his intentions are. And I think all of those things, lead me to believe that the Giants need to if Blake Martinez doesn't play. Obviously, Blake Martinez is a stud, but he's also somebody who could be a cap casualty. They need to address this because Tay Crowder, you know, bless him, but he's not it. He's somebody who's frequently out of position, doesn't necessarily really know where to be, when when to be there. I think he's another one who makes some flash plays, will fill a hole when it opens up and, and there's no way you can miss it. But he's out of position. Jalen Smith, out of position a lot, although I am interested in Jalen Smith. He's not as somebody who's going to be a starter, but somebody who could possibly earn his way onto the roster of the final 53. I also think like Carter Coughlin and Cam Brown could be unique rotational players on passing situations, but not players that you have to rely on. The Giants need to find... A, a true Mike linebacker that they can rely on. And they haven't necessarily had that outside of Blake Martinez in a little bit. So I'm hoping that they address it. I think that's you look at the draft, Nicobe Dean is out there. He's really interesting. Kip from Georgia, the one from Utah, Devin Lloyd is another interesting name. I don't know if the Giants would go in that direction high, but I think they could try to land somebody a little bit later in the draft in the fourth round. I mean, if you look at what the Bengals did a couple years ago on day three or late in day two, they selected Logan Wilson out of Wyoming and Akeem Davis Gaither, both really quality linebackers. Logan Wilson ended up being a, a really solid starter for that Bengals defense under Lou Anarumo. So I think that's probably the course of action they're going to take select a couple of linebackers, try to fill it out. And Blake Martinez, that's a whole nother conversation. Is he going to be here for the last year on his contract? I'm not hundred percent certain. I would love for it. Cause I think he's just a, a great individual to have in the locker room. I think the giants defense really suffered without him last year. So we'll have to wait to see what his fate is for the 2022 New York giants. All right. Now, Nick, as we wind down on this, this conversation, which has been absolutely fantastic, by the way, couple more questions for you. Number one, you look at the offense and the defensive sides of the ball. What about the coaching, whether it be the, the coaches they have, the philosophies or what have you, what concerns you the most for each side of the ball? So what concerns me the most for, we'll start with the offense, was Brian Dable, there were times, and I know I have friends who cover the Buffalo Bills, and I picked their brains, and I also saw it a little bit on film, especially when you watch the Jacksonville game. There are times where he just abandons the run, and it becomes too one-dimensional. Now, it's easy to do that when you have Josh Allen, but when you become too one-dimensional, I feel like you become too predictable. And when you're too predictable, the defense can just kind of drop into their zones or, or whatever kind of coverage they're going to have, and they don't have to necessarily – think about their run fits. And that's, that's a big part of the game. You have to at least have the illusion or the, or the ability to, to run the football. And I feel like they abandoned that sometimes. So that would be one, uh, I would say concern that I have with Brian Dable. Now I would love for him to be much more pass heavy than he is run, but I want there to at least be the illusion that the giants can run. So the defense doesn't know what you're going to do. So that's one thing. Now for the defense, there wasn't, Great development, I guess, with Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison. And those were their linebackers, their inside linebackers. Now, Malik Harrison, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was shot actually in Cleveland this season, like in the leg. And he missed a lot of the season. And I don't think he came back. And maybe if he did come back, he was in the doghouse. Not 100% certain what happened after that incident. But he was kind of slowly developing. And Patrick Queen, first round pick two years ago, another player that just didn't necessarily develop. So that's one thing I can say. Now, that's not all on Wink Martindale. You can kind of put that maybe on the 2020 
uh, linebackers coach, the 2021 linebackers coach, which was Rob Ryan. You can maybe assign that to them. But that is something that would concern me, especially if the Giants do look to select a linebacker. And again, this doesn't mean that he can't do it. It just, it didn't happen for those two individuals. Another individual is a totally different individual who can be coached, may take to his coaching. Wink Martindale, I, I don't necessarily fret about his ability to teach or anything like that. But if I had to choose something, that would be something that came to my mind when I was watching the Ravens film. Overall, with this coaching staff, I mean, a, a much different um, complexion, if you will, than from what Joe Judge had. A lot of guys who have both NFL experience and college experience, not a lot of guys who you could honestly say are, are uh, Brian Dable's buddies, like was, was the case with Joe Judge. I don't think there were any guys on the staff, the, the current staff, that were head coaches, if I'm not mistaken, in, in the past. So... When you look at this whole makeup of this coaching staff, how good do you feel about it? Or do you do you say to yourself, well, you know, I, I wished he had hired somebody who had head coaching experience, or I wish he had hired maybe more offensive assistants who were more experienced in their roles, you know, because he has a lot of guys who are entering their, their roles with the Giants for the first time. They had never done these roles before with other teams. As of right now, Patty, I mean, I'm – I'm fine with it, to be honest. I don't necessarily have too many criticisms of it because I haven't seen anything yet on the field. And now come week one, week two, if we start seeing, or even you know after that, we start seeing some some struggles, I think it would be safer to address that. But I'm hoping that they have a plan. And, I, and this starts from top down, right? I'm hoping that Joe Shane has the plan. Now, he wanted Brian Dable. He got Brian Dable. That's his head coach now. And look, look, Brian Dable, before his Alabama days, there were a lot of failures there. And I think that's important, too. He figured out what didn't work. I mean, he was an offensive coordinator for the Browns, and he's kind of bounced around a little bit, didn't necessarily find a lot of success at the NFL level. And he goes Alabama, and obviously you have five stars everywhere. It's Alabama. But he becomes this guru, this wonder kid kind of, right? And then he goes up to Buffalo. We saw what happened there. Josh Allen, myself included, was not a big Josh Allen guy when he came out of Wyoming. It's because he had like a sub 50% or sub 60% completion percentage at a, at a smaller level of competition and he couldn't hit a pass in the flat. And then he gets developed by Dable and that staff. And you're like, oh, wow, this guy's, this guy's pretty good. You know, I, I like this guy. This guy is one of the best in the NFL. So you're hoping that happens here in New York. So I'm hoping that from Joe Shane, from Brian Dayball, they, they've got the guys that they wanted in place. Now, it seems like they wanted Ken Dorsey. They couldn't get Ken Dorsey. It happens. So you go out, you get somebody that you don't necessarily know, but he's kind of an up-and-comer, Mike Kafka. I like the fact that he comes from Kansas City. I like the fact that he comes from the Andy Reid coaching tree. Now, he doesn't have a lot of coaching experience, like you said. I mean, he retired, I think, in like 2015 as a player. But what I do like, is he was a player. And I think that's important. You have a quarterback who was a player. Now, it didn't necessarily work with Jason Garrett, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to work now. So I like the fact that they have a couple of former players out there on the coaching staff, and I'm hoping that it will transpire into wins. I know it's a little raw, but you have a new head coach and didn't work with Joe Judge. Doesn't mean it's not going to work with Brian Dable. I don't have gripes as of right now. I'm just uh, hoping from the top down that these individuals are all on the same page and that the Giants can actually get back to to winning football games. I, I had my hopes up about Joe Judge, if I'm going to be honest. I thought Joe Judge was a fine hire, but again, it was somebody who was never a head coach before. I, I think Joe Judge said a lot of the things that we wanted to hear. It just didn't necessarily happen on the field. I also think he was kind of dealt a bad hand. It wasn't huge when they hired Pat Shermer. Ben McAdoo, I understood it for, for the time, but I wasn't covering the New York Giants at the time. I understood it from the fact that he had a good relationship with Eli Manning. That didn't necessarily materialize well either, <laughs> but uh, I'm really um, I'm pulling for this though. The Brian Dable, I think you got an offensive guy. You needed an offensive guy. The offense was just atrocious last year, and uh, the staff that he's brought in so far, I don't necessarily have any gripes about. And I think realistically, you know, and and this final point here, um, I don't know that the Giants are going to necessarily be a playoff team in 2022. But what I do think is very possible is you're going to see them win quite a few more games than the four that they won last year. Now, what I'm curious to see with Brian Dable is if he ends up calling the plays. I just have this gut feeling that he's going to because, again, Mike Kafka has never been an offensive play caller before. Um, you have a lot of guys on that offensive staff that are new to their specific roles. And I I'll be honest with you, Nick, I don't like it when a coach – 
calls the plays because I don't want to see at a critical point in the game where you've got to decide, okay, do, should I call a timeout? Should I go for it? What should I do here? And he's got his face in the play card. Like Ben McAdoo used to have it in yeah. that big menu and he's trying to figure out, okay, what should I call next? So, I mean, that, that's the one thing that I think if, if you were to ask me what makes me nervous about this staff, that would probably be it. But I do think with the staff, if they are dealt a good hand, if they can somehow get the injury situation under control, they can win a few more games. I don't think it'll be a playoff team this year, but at least get that momentum going and then build on it. Because even the Bills, if I'm not mistaken, when Brandon Bean and and uh, Sean McDermott and and Joe Shane, when they all kind of took over, I, didn't it take them a a year or so before they kind of got that team into shape? I believe it. I believe it did, Patty. And I think that was an excellent point that you made. But everyone knew. And I'm hoping we have this too, that, that they were on the right trajectory with McDermott and with Brandon Bean. And that's what I'm hoping that we get too with Joe Shane and Dable. And I think you do make an excellent point about Kafka. He's never called the plays before. And also with Dable, is he going to call? That is something that I'm a little, you know, okay, well, let's see how this is going to work out. But again, I hope they have a plan in place. They better have a plan in place. Otherwise, it's going to be another long year. And I hope I'm actually hoping, because I was joking about this with Ed Valentine. I said, Ed, we better go practice how to write winning, you know, a, a winning post-game story, because it has been so long since we have done it. We don't do it very often. And I know when, when it happened last year, I'm like, do I remember how to do this? Or do I have to go back and look it up? And I actually a couple of times had to go back and look it up. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Nicholas... Wonderful stuff as always. Always enjoy talking football with you. You're amazing. Your your draft profiles are just tremendous. Appreciate all the work you're doing over on Giants Country. And folks, again, if you are not checking out this young man, check him out. He's on Giants Country. He's on Big Blue View. He's got a podcast. I'll put all the information for you in the show notes if you want to follow him. He's uh, He also has uh, Twitter clips that he puts out in which he's commenting on it. So he's just one of the, to me, one of the most underrated, but budding stars. It's just a matter of time before somebody snaps this kid up. I mean, no <laughs> doubt about it. And I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call you a kid, Nick. Yeah, I know you're, uh-huh. you're a grown man, but everybody's a kid compared to me. So anyway, <laughs> giant fans, thank you so much for tuning in, making us your first listen of the day, or if you're watching on YouTube, your first watch of the day, we will be back tomorrow. We've got a, a lot more to cover. Um, We've got the injury show that I promised you. We're going to talk about with uh, Coach Gene Clemens. He's going to come on and give us his two cents about how things are shaping up. So a lot more football stuff to talk about in this first full week of the NFL offseason now that the Super Bowl is done. So for Nick Filato, I am Patricia Trainer. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and we will talk to you tomorrow.